We're going to start with me and then go to you, okay? <laughs> yeah, why don't we start with you and then go to me? <laughs> okay. okay, my name is Kent Dahlgren, and this is... Ruth Glendinning. And we're going to talk about the Anti-Fragile Playbook. Because we're anti-fragile, and we want you to be, too. <laughs> yes. So it starts recording, and then I'm going to say, it's the Windsor Park Collective, with the Snowstorm Edition. Do, do, do. <laughs> no, you're not <laughs> like, going to do that. No, I just I did it. That. It's recording now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Dahlgren. In, in the full <laughs> spirit of of uh, begging for forgiveness versus asking for permission. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to need to get into practice for begging for forgiveness. Beg for forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a useful theme for some people. <laughs> I might be able to teach a seminar. Here's how it works, guys. If you feel like it's the right thing to do at the moment, just do it. And then check the room and be like, whoa, man, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Um, and then you know, ask for forgiveness and then inform your, I mean, you know, always refresh the screen and you might learn something from it. It could be that that was just a really bad judgment. Um, but, you know, if you're going to do something and it's going to help the greatest number of people, then, you know, let your freak flag fly. That would be my recommendation. Are there any questions? Anyone? Anyone? There's like, two people in the audience. <laughs> They're both asleep. <laughs> no, no, no. In Switzerland, they're wide awake. <laughs> <laughs> So, so we get them see on their show. Switzerland, we see you. <laughs> we see you, right? Yeah, it's like that thing Nina does with her fingers and her eyes. It's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> we could have them on the show. This the Swiss know what they're doing. They've got little towns with uh, their own complimentary currency, and you know, seems like they got they got a lot going on. So, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, we had a snowstorm, and uh, Ruth and I got on the Zoom call, and then we started doing the thing we've been doing literally for the last. I don't. Know, I was like, "What day is it?" Ruth says it's Friday, and I'm like, "Okay, but wait." what happened Tuesday? <laughs> so this is like what's been going on for the last few days. Cause it's been like this command center, this mission control thing. Right. Like, uh, and then I was like, Oh, well maybe I'll just start recording. Cause the reason for this podcast is just to upgrade update y'all about what's going on with what we've come to call the Windsor park collective, our own little, um, uh, pilot community. So. Anyhow. Well, and, 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 you know, snow, snowpocalypse 2021, right. It, it's, um, the COVID was like the warm up. <laughs> it's like, it's, and, and there was a funny meme that said, you know, 2020 was uh, telling you what you needed to know. 2021 is testing you, you know, yeah. it's like, did you t- learn the lessons? And so, um, and it's, it's funny because like this morning, uh, you know, it's 27 degrees outside and I'm like, man, it's nice and warm out. You know, <laughs> it's, it's all perspective. It's like being present with what's happening so that you can refresh the screen, as you said earlier, and say, wow, I can appreciate this in a different way. You yeah. Know? Oh man, and- it was, it's been great. Actually, I'm all for like natural disasters. And stuff. <laughs> it brings out, I, I don't revel in people's suffering, obviously, but it brings out the best of people without a doubt. You know. Well, it's it certainly it certainly tests them, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's and and I've been really impressed, you know. It's yeah, man, I like phenomenal. it. Phenomenal. Guess, Guess what? People are good. Hooray! And I know given the chance. Yeah, given the chance. It doesn't mean all of them are. It doesn't matter to me. I like seeing the 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 the, the blatant uh, uh, evidence that people do good things without any expectation of, of recognition or reward. You see it all the time. It's crazy. Um, this is like the coolest things have happened. And, uh, and I edit, and it also like the, one of the coolest things is that it also allowed Ruth and I and Trudy to talk about the, about our vision for building a living laboratory for our antifragile playbook, like right up in our, our, our hood. And, you know, we had, for instance, um, talked about one of the plans we had up on the whiteboard is to approach the 
the, the pastor of the local church to see if we could use their commercial kitchen. And then, you know, we didn't anticipate that they would actually literally land on our couch. <laughs> That's like literally what happened. Yeah. Their yeah. house got frozen out. And so the, the, the couple and their four cats or three cats, I don't three know, cats. man. I, felt like four. Yeah. I have a hard time counting cats. Well, it was right? four with Oreo. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> And I told them over and over again, you guys, I don't like cats and they don't believe me. And I don't understand what it takes for them to understand. I just don't want to cuddle with them, even if they are cute and warm. I don't want to. And they just followed me around. It was really hard. But anyway, they were on the, 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 the you know, the pastor uh, was on the, on the couch and we didn't, had never met them before. And, and all of a sudden we're talking about the vision and I'm petting the cats, including Harlequin, which is super cute. You see that a musical note on its face. It's like the cutest yes. cat I've ever seen. Um, so yes. Yeah. Uh, and there was like basically a pot of food cooking all the times. It turns out we're one of the only houses that had power. Uh, Ruth lost power. So, you know, I went and got her, uh, you know, very courageously, you know, it was really very courageous on my part to drive in the ice. I also had a lot of fun with that, doing a lot of spinning around. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I had like pretty well, much the best week ever is what I'm saying. I mean, I mean for, for our, our friends in Switzerland. Okay. I, I grew up in Texas and uh-huh. you got snow for about 24 hours, about every eight or 10 years uh-huh. we had two snow events in five weeks in 2021 and the first one everyone was like oh it's so pretty the second one was like oh my gosh we're all gonna die <laughs> you know it was we didn't really know what to do it's like and, and Kent, if you noticed yesterday like none of us have winter coats none of us were like digging things out of the closet kind of like if i put on 27 layers does that help do oh, these man. 27 layers make, make me look fat you're like yeah but you yeah. look warm so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that was that was rough though that was rough you know because like there's this poco loco um i always call it the crazy chicken but i don't think it actually means crazy chicken because i get it conflated with the chicken whole a place little crazy go. poco loco a little crazy I, yeah. I love the place, man. The whole, the whole mall. It's like, I, I swear the hub is all around the coin operated laundry place and people park two, three cars deep and they got their music going and people are in the parking lot. And that's, that's, I love that place. I really do. It's like, it's one of my favorite things about moving to Texas. Cause there ain't nothing like that in Portland. It hadn't been like that for decades. So I'm just, I just love it. But now, you know, the parking lot's got ice um, and there's people walking through the slush uh, in shoes and you can tell they hadn't had heat for days. Um, and they have not purchased clothing for this cause they didn't come from the North and you don't get that kind of weather here and they haven't had power. They haven't had food. They haven't had water. And, uh, and the line is going <laughs> all the way up to all the way up to the street. Um, and you know, it's an hour plus wait and there's no power and you got to do cash only. It's, that's pretty dire actually. Um, but you know, these are good people. So they, so they basically distribute what they have among themselves. And it was like, so cool. And then of course I moved from Oregon with this cases of earthquake food, which means, you know, lots of spam. So I would, you know, a uh, million, I would go out and run sorties and hand stuff out, but there were others doing it. It was like the coolest thing, man. It really was like, uh, I liked it a lot. Well, and it's, it, it, you know, there were some uh, organizations that had been formed to address COVID problems a year ago. Mm-hmm. And they were, so they were ready for this. And that was just mind blowing, you know, that like somebody put out a call to uh, set up hotel rooms for the homeless. Uh-huh. And they set a goal on Monday of $500,000. They exceeded that goal by yesterday mm-hmm. by $10,000. So hopefully a whole lot of the unhoused got into uh, some you know, into the hotels. Well, my, um, 
it, it's and and the thing is is that everybody just was on point you know they wanted to get stuff done well i mean it would be easy to sort of you know drift into the domain of the political but i do want to emphasize a few things that were really interesting that what dominated our interactions were what was happening right in the neighborhood i mean just all the way back into the home again there was a big pot of food basically on the on the on the on the stove nonstop. I mean, first and foremost, we were one of the only places that had power. So it served as a hub for, for community, right? And so then there's the biggest pot that, that Trudy's got and it's got food going in it. And it's like this, I mean, it probably, this is probably what's happened for millennia is it's, it ends up being this eternally evolving meal, <laughs> right? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, the leftovers from last night gets added to the soup more or less, right? And, uh, and it's warm, so people are warm. And, uh, and, you know, we do what we need to make sure that people have uh, safe water to drink. And then that's separated from um, their waste product and there's food and there's a place to sleep. I mean, we've hit all the essentials. And so then the next thing you do is saying, all right, let's turn around and refresh the screen, find out who is it need around us. So then we end up doing that. And that's actually what enriched our, um, our pilot, because, you know, as we've talked about, you, you, you know, you begin with outrage and then you go to a vision, which we haven't exactly talked about here because we're kind of touching on it um and then we we engage with people in the community and, and in my experience when you introduce technology or you do a solution you don't do it all at once you begin with a um a pilot just a small small group and we had a podcast about it talking to uh, your housemate and uh and what happened is that our pilot got a lot bigger like all of a sudden like you know i ended up talking to the chicken lady um that's not her name by the way but it's what i call her she has chickens uh, talked to her yesterday um, about what this is and you know the fact is you can't get eggs at the store um, so people that are growing uh, have chickens now are the only source of eggs in the neighborhood right um, I mean that's that's just the bitter reality of it right well uh, it, it, and to, but to go back a little bit in that story um, you know last summer you had started to to really formulate this as a potential you know, mm-hmm. uh, just in your own neighborhood, you're like, and actually it was sooner, earlier than that. Cause it was pretty soon after we met that you're like, cause you knew some people had chickens and some people had tools and, you know, you had a sense of what was available yeah. and there wasn't the urgency, you know, and, and that, that's what I, I want to, to make sure we talk about is, is putting the potential in the right container, right. merges the opportunity. So, right. and it was, you know, so when we were talking about, because you had gone to the local store and the shelves were bare, you know, there was no meat. There was no, there was basically uh, heavy cream and coffee, which is fine. You know, that's yeah. a good start, but you need a few other things. And then it was like, wait, I'm going to go back to that woman around the corner that has chickens. And right. now this was the right time. So timing is so important because people have moved from that the awareness they're in a pace of empathy because they've now felt into it differently so they have the wisdom to go oh okay great we can build wealth together by by um, creating this opportunity this next step right so you know i just it's like it's it's we can do this when it's just uh you know metaphorically a pebble in your shoe you don't have to wait for the boulders to drop on you but once the boulder drops, let's do something, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like if that's what it takes. Right. Yeah. Well, that story is a good one. Um, Cause there's some context there that is worth mentioning. Uh, I went to the local HEB um, and I stood in line for a very long time. And, um, uh, and so then um, there's no grocery carts up front because the parking lot is filled with snow and ice and people, they're just out there and the people that work there, 
it's already sort of a threadbare staff and uh and there's no cart so anyway this guy had brought a cart by back so then the guy that was in line in front of me he and i decided we were going to share the cart i've never met him before and he thanked me he's a you know mexican guy and said he's really shy and he has a hard time talking to people and his english isn't very good so he was glad that i offered it so he and i became shopping buddies and he hadn't been to that store. He was actually shopping on behalf of his um, elderly neighbor. Um, and so he had a list of things. And I mean, literally didn't know what kale was because, you know, English isn't his first language. So anyway, we went through the whole store thing. And um, and while we were doing it, we were both texting people to say, hey, I'm in the store. What do you need? So then, I mean, you and your housemate were part of that, right? And um, so real time, we were collecting things. And we were also letting people know that's just not here because the store is mostly empty, right? Um, and then receiving payment real time, uh, you know, via Venmo or whatever, so we can pay for stuff. And then, um, uh, and then I helped him load his groceries into his truck. We said our goodbyes. I went and I delivered groceries. Uh, that was cool, man. That was a cool deal. The other thing is that, um, you know, when you, you think about like economic crises and you think about a run on the bank, right? That has, uh, it's, it's lodged in people's popular imagination, but what's happened not once, but now twice in the past 12 months is a run on the store, <laughs> right? yeah. Like, yeah. which is actually a little bit scarier and you can sense people's sense of, of panic. Um, and at the same time, they, they, they tend to, um, they don't fight amongst themselves. They're actually quite cooperative. You know, it's not to say that they're not irritable. It's, it's a tough situation. Uh, but, um, but, you know, like I've had, you know, we had, at one point we had nine people in this little place, including my daughters and uh, my twins drink a lot of milk and there was no more milk. And so we had somebody deliver milk on our doorstep, somebody that I've never met before. Um, and it's still defrosting for what it's worth, but I mean, I'm going to take frozen milk. Well, so yeah, uh, aren't we all? Yeah. yeah. And um, so there was like um, I, uh, the, the abundance, I think that's the thing I just kept calling attention to in a time of such significant, scarcity the abundance was overwhelming and it was definitely if you want to think in terms of you know ruth and i talk a lot about soft capital but the the investment in soft capital had an immediate re, uh, return on investment in the form of tangible products uh honestly like it was and it wasn't just that but it was also the relationships like you know when when my daughters would go out and we would you know run sorties to the neighborhood and see who were out in their sandals in the snow trying to get a little bit of sunshine before they had to go we met this couple that were in there sleeping in their closet with all their clothes on top of them just to try to stay warm they had no power for days and so you know we were giving them uh, cans of spam um uh, water um uh, purification pills i bought all this because i grew up in an earthquake area i moved from oregon you're supposed to stockpile food in case there's a big earthquake then i moved to texas you know and now i'm using it for this and, but we're, we're meeting them and listening to them. So the couple just got married a few years ago. And one of them has a daughter that's my daughter's age. We just we got to know people. That's the important thing. It wasn't like it was just, you know, driving by and throwing cans of spam out the window. It's like getting a chance. Oh, to, that would hurt. To, that would be so insult to injury, right? Absolutely. So it's more like, you know, you're getting out there with them and you're not, um, you're not treating them less than. This is just a, a circumstance. It's a shared circumstance. And our, the, the, the number of our, the number and quality of our, relationships in the neighborhood has expanded dramatically to the extent that we've really brought forward the, the Windsor Park Collective pilot community because people are like, wow, neighborhood economics, I totally get it. That clicks, like, duh, I get it. Whereas I had actually literally gone through the neighborhood when COVID had began and it didn't have what Ruth calls that sense of urgency. Like I had, I had jumpstart those relationships with the neighbors. I had pulled out MREs and, and other things and I'd introduced myself and I had a vision for us putting together some stuff and it just didn't, didn't take. Cause I just, I think most people thought that things would go back to normal in, you know, March or April, but you know, here it's, 
February. And I don't think anybody thinks anything's going to go back to normal anytime soon, right? So. Well, the, the capacity for understanding normal has changed. Mm-hmm. You know, that, like normal was what you were used to, but it wasn't normal uh, in relation to investing in the value of humans. Right. You know, it was abnormal that, right. that, that humans were seen as a cost rather right. than an investment. Well, in fact, and and so so thank goodness we now have not only the language to question it, but the tools to push those questions out to a bigger audience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just saw an article. I just saw it just now. Authorities suspect hypothermia after eleven-year-old Texas boy dies in bed amid mm-hmm. power outages, and they right. And there's a picture of you know our town. So uh, I got an eleven-year-old child, right? So that's the loss of my child, basically. Like I, I register that as a, a real loss. That's this is not an abstract thing. This is why I encourage people not to get too much into the politics of it and remind that there's a human toll that hasn't even completely begun to unravel, right? Like this is, this is, this is a, a real, like a, a real tragedy. It's an 11 year old, right? So um, it's a, uh, that's rough. This is a, this is like a, a, a real thing. And, um, and what we've been saying, it's, it's not a political thing. It's just a statement that like, we might have to, we might have to make an investment in the people around us. And so what you were saying though, Ruth, is that I've noticed that there's been a trope in recent um, times that, um, that you can just throw people away, that you can throw people away because we're climbing up the social ladder. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, and I, uh, I've experienced that. I've seen that, right. I've seen that. That's sort of like a, well, you know, I'm, I'm a climber and those people are still rooted in their sort of poverty thinking. And I'm going to, I need to just shake them off my feet as I kind of move up. And what I have noticed, and we shouldn't be surprised because you and I have talked about it all year is that those people tend to find themselves um, at the ragged edge of, of the, of the, of that social connections when things go pear-shaped, right? Because, because it is actually very transactional, but when you have no basis of transaction, what are you going to do? Like you become mm-hmm. the expendable one. It's like you reap what you sow basically. And that's, that's a rough place to be, you know? Um, and, uh, um, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that people have been cured of that. I have a feeling that it'll, things will melt and they'll go back to their ways. I think that they'll have to go through a few more cycles of this. Um, and they're invited to change their, perspectives but not everybody gets it right i don't know I'm, we're not trying to get everybody on this one it's just that you know we don't well, need everybody to get it <laughs> that's my point yeah but. i mean i mean the theory is that if you can reach three to five percent of any population right you can affect change sustainable yeah. right. and and i do believe you know we're so in such a unique moment in um not only the meta story of global living but in Austin in particular, you know, where um, it's always promoted itself as kind of the city of the future. In fact, Elon Musk just called it that a, a few weeks ago. So it's drawing a lot of attention. You know, I remember it wasn't that long ago when I'd have to clarify where Austin is, you know, yeah. and now it has a global uh, presence thanks to South by and to the other really uh, uh, active but, uh, containers that drew in creative potential. Uh-huh. And so, so here we are, we have people, they know what Austin is, the eyes are on it. I, I mean, I heard from people I know all over the world, and I'm sure you did too, over this last week, that were just going, what the heck, you know, you're, you're, a, a, you're a high tech town, you have creatives, you have 
all the things, you know, so how is it that people are at risk of dying in trailers or even, you know, the story yesterday, there is a rather exclusive community in West Austin, but it's on the top of a steep hill. Yeah. And so those people with all of their wealth and all of their safety um, protection from the hoi polloi, you know, they're stuck on top of a hill that is inaccessible because nobody right. in Texas has the roads were inaccessible. Right. And, you know, and so as we're, we're looking at this, you know, your money is not protecting you from this. This was, this was a, a shared experience. This was something that everybody could feel into because everybody felt cold and, you know, and, and everybody kind of like rotating everyone, um, had to engage with a loss of power or heat or um, water or connectivity, you know, Um, and, and there was just literally mountains moved because of soft capital, because people were just, just, you know, those relationships that COVID kind of started that, that forced people to start thinking about things differently. It was action time. You know, you had to activate that. Yeah. I I, I should I should point out that the people who are in the people who are best able to revert to a transactional um, interaction with the world are going to be the late adopters of the model that we're recommending because they they've been acculturated to believe that when we talk about soft capital, we're glorifying poverty um, thinking. That's basically how this works, you know, like um, because, you know, this you've seen this our whole lives. They say, you know, the poor are bad stewards of their money instead of um, giving it to their community, they should have invested it, right? That's like literally you end up getting scolded for doing that. Um, but that's not what they do. Like, you know, the, 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 the charitable donations in the state of Mississippi are off the charts. And in, um, you know, Delaware, it's the lowest. I mean, that's no surprise. The people who are around money, they tend to be very transactional and they are not as generous, even, I mean, mm-hmm. quantitatively not as generous. So, you know, we can talk about those that are on the hill. They are ironically in the most perilous position, but they are mm-hmm. least likely to um, to do to adopt a different thing because they have an option, the option to buy their way out of of, uh, of peril. You know, and um, and you know, I mean, I don't know what to say about it. It's just that sometimes pain is what it takes for people to change behavioral patterns. And our recommendation is not terribly radical. It's just invest in the economy that sits right below your nose and it's in your neighborhood. And, and it's just as simple as, like I said, there's a family that's just three blocks down, they have chickens. It's the only place to get chickens in the neighborhood. Um, I wonder if she has a need of something from her neighbors that she can't get otherwise. Like that's what we're talking about. And it's not surprising to me that the buy nothing groups are so popular right now, right? Because we have actually so much abundance sitting under our nose. And those groups, by the way, are really fun. If the listener hasn't checked them out, they're really, really fun. There's a lot of them and they're growing a lot, but you just like look for a buy nothing group typically on Facebook. And they're like, it's, it's hilarious actually, because you're like typical buy nothing post would be somebody that will post, they'll, they'll put like a piece of furniture on the curb and then they'll write some ridiculous thing about how this piece of furniture was whatever. And then everybody just, it turns into a basis of improvisational comedy. Um, but eventually somebody wants it and they come pick it up and it's not, they're not selling it, you know? And it's really cool because you get to know your neighbors. You get to sort of share the stuff that you got that's extra. The fact is we have a lot, we have a lot, we have a, a, a massive abundance in our, in our, in our culture. And, um, 
and what it means is that we don't have to keep buying things. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't buy things, but I'm saying we don't have to keep buying things, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a, there's a real opportunity for us to explore the difference between want and need, you know, like we don't need all those things. Like, uh, and where our, our economy is predicated upon the assumption that we need to keep buying things. But what if we don't? right? Like, what if we don't need to, maybe I have to make a choice. Like I can tell you that what I would prefer is that my daughters have a consistent food to eat. That's of high quality. Um, I prefer for it to be made a little bit closer to home. Right. So, uh, I have, that strikes me as a greater need than for me to buy a brand new pair of pants, right? Like we get to choose. So, uh, and, 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 and the unexpected, um, it was anticipated, but yet unexpected, let's put it that way, that there's a great awakening to the anti-fragile playbook. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, as, and, and it wasn't us um, putting all of our marketing budget in, of zero into um, a weather event. It was us just following our intuition and tapping into our learned right. and earned wisdom that, that everything was going to everything has to give, you know, yeah. that, that we've, we spent, uh, and we've all heard a ton of information about being resilient. And, sure. and that, that helps to a point, we've talked about this before. I grew up in Houston, places are still flooding the places they were flooding when I was a kid. So that's been resilient, right. but, but how are we actually leaning in towards addressing the anticipated breakage? Well, that's that, the part that annoys that, me. That our system, our systems proved their fragility. Yeah. Yeah. For real. I mean, if you saw it coming, just do something. This is the thing that annoys me about leadership. Like if you had an opportunity to, to, uh, to, to head this off at the past, why didn't you? Mm -hmm. And that's what I would strike me as a a lack of leadership. Again, I don't want to get into the politics of it, Mm -hmm. but leadership is a rare quality. People will buy the term leader, like they'll buy their way into it and they surround themselves by people who will echo it. But it doesn't mean you're a leader just because people call you that. Like a leader is someone who takes responsibility for things, even if it isn't their fault. And, uh, and as such, we'll try to, to address that, that issue. Um, and they will accept the fact that they might've failed and they share the successes that their other people, their people have done uh, instead of hoarding it. Um, but within our society, and Ruth hears me talk about it all the time, we are largely a society of liars, basically. We lie to ourselves that we believe that people are leading, but they're not actually, they're, they're, they're blaming others. And it's easy to sit back and say, well, look at them. But the fact is, is that we're going to have to do it. Otherwise we're going to starve to death in our own homes, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of the, the point of this is the story of it is that, that I, I'm not able from sitting in this house, I'm looking at the four walls here. I'm not able to address the issue that our society has rewarded people uh, for lying to themselves. I'm not going to be able to change that. What I can do is be that change and I can actually do it in my neighborhood. And we've gone a step further to say, we're going to make it easy for other people to replicate the same thing by creating a cohort of people, like-minded people, right? And then providing an example of how to get this done. And it's the simplest thing. It's what people do for millennia. You know, you got an extra, you got you got some bread. I love the story, by the way, of Jesus and all the fish and the, and the bread. I love it, mm-hmm. by the way, because there's a couple of different ways of interpreting it. One of them is, what if something that Jesus said encouraged people to share the food they already had? Maybe that's the miracle, right? I love that version. I mean, it might be anticlimactic, but it's not. A bunch of people came because they wanted to hear from a teacher. And then the teacher was like, yo, we should share the food we have, right? Maybe that's what he said. I kind of like that version. Instead of it magically creating a lot of food, maybe the magic was people said, if we give, we receive, right? right? That's the thing. So yeah. that's kind of what we talk about. I mean, that's, and it's really in many ways, not that much ra- more radical than that. 
Well, and, and, and but that is considered radical, right? It, it yeah. is that, and the statements that you and I have made in our separate paths to this moment, we've always considered to be fringe and radical yeah. um, because we're, we're just asking questions about, you know, the why. Is it true? Has it ever been true? Could it right. be true? And should it be true? And there's a whole lot of people that are now awakened to should it be true? Right. You know, that that is are the 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 canon of of knowledge. Is that truly our wisdom? Mm -hmm. You know, that and and is and who's benefiting from it? It's always follow the money, right? right? And 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 it's and this is not about politics at all. This is about humanity. This is about staying present with the human condition. This is moving from otherhood to brotherhood, saying that each of us is a valuable part of our fabric of community. And when there's a hole in it, which somebody is falling through, we're all being taken down with them because we're all connected. This is not isolated incidents. So, you know, the, the boy who um, froze in the, in the trailer, um, in, you know, that you spoke of earlier right. is incredibly valuable as are the people who are up in this more exclusive subdivision, uh -huh. as are the people that, that are unhomed and under the bridge. You know, we can't say, we can't pick winners and losers based on false information. Right. And so that, that's what became amply clear is that it revealed everybody. Either yeah. you were being of service to the greater good in ways that um, invested in people or you weren't. Right. That's the only binary choice I see it is like when we've talked about building community wealth, you know, you have you have this simple entry point to complexity. So we ended up with this simple entry point called, oh my gosh, there's four days of snow in Austin, Texas. Right. That was, everyone was there. Our next step is that we're either producing well-being or we're consuming it. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, that's what was revealed. There were two clear paths and you saw who was where. Now, right. you know, and people... They, they moved back and forth because we all get to the point where we're like, oh my gosh, if I can just get warm, then I can be of greater service. Mm -hmm. You have to have some consciousness of your, for yourself, but it doesn't mean that you, you become selfish, you know, that, that you just focus on what you need. Always be of service to the least among us, the most mm -hmm. vulnerable. Yeah. And what I was, I was thinking so much, you know, Keith, um, my late husband, was in a wheelchair and oxygen dependent towards the end. And mm -hmm. we needed the grid um, because there was that, you know, you had to be self-sufficient, honestly. And I was thinking about that and all the people I know, and I was checking on them. Uh, luckily we had still had Facebook so we could check in on people. Um, but miraculously, I, you know, one of the, our old neighbors I'm friends with on Facebook. And she said that street never lost power, mm -hmm. never lost anything, you know? Yeah, so, cool. yeah, yeah. And so, but what, what I noticed is the people who hadn't lost power, they were being extremely generous. Yeah. They were reaching out and saying, Hey, do you need a charging station? Yeah. Do you need water? So it was just such a really great social experiment to be part of mm -hmm. and to see that given 
the opportunity, people will do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Um, I had experienced the similar phenomena within private enterprise, actually. Um, it's my supposition that centralized administration doesn't scale very well. What ends up happening is, is that they end up making decisions from a top down and what they end up, what they end up skimping on is the last mile, so to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so there might be a list uh, of things that need to get done, but they rank it based on numbers basically. And, and inevitably those that are at the last, at the, at the ragged edge, they just get the least, you know, <laughs> the irony is those that are sitting at there at the ragged margins are closest to the streets actually know what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and there's this middle layer that of people just passing beans back and forth between each other. And they're not, they're not as essential, honestly. So like, it's, it's really just, just that centralized administration doesn't scale very well. So, um, so what does scale is what's happening right down in the, in the thick of things. And the cool thing is that people have been doing this forever. Um, mm -hmm. For a couple of generations there, we had told ourselves that we didn't need to do that. Um, like, you know, we're rugged individualist, um, which is a false story, actually. Um, having come from people who were those people, like in very real terms, I'm the offspring of those, those people who were the westward expansionists. They're, they were very much in the early wave. They're the only way they survived is through community. Like you go out mm -hmm. there on your own, you get one or two injuries and you're dead, right? That's just that. So, you know, people tell themselves a, a, an untrue story about like, I don't need anybody because my ancestors didn't. That's not true at all. You know, you're out there at the end of a cul-de-sac, like that's, um, that's a perilous spot. You fall in this weather and you can die right? Because mm -hmm. you can't get back up to the main floor or whatever. So, um, uh, so I don't know, I'm, I'm encouraged because I just, I just see that that's where we are right now. I see, um, that there is, I believe it to be a series of, of, um, of, 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 of uh, I don't want to call it events. I just, what I, what I see happening is let's call them awakenings. Sure. You could call them awakenings is a good way of putting it is that there will be what I consider a right sizing of um because i'm using the language of private enterprise when they say right sizing mm -hmm. they're basically it's euphemistically talking yeah. about layoffs this is a right sizing of of responsibility back down into the streets that's actually good news on a lot of reasons like when we dump all responsibility on the government then what we do is we sit in our little facebook groups and we complain about everything like petulant children mm -hmm. which is super annoying to me by the way um, what I love about doing community activism is getting people involved in doing the work, which first and foremost gets them to shut up. <laughs> like I'm telling you, that is literally the most annoying thing is people just, but what about this? But what about this? Like, oh my God, pick up a shovel. Yeah, what, what about ism? It's going to be the death <laughs> oh my God. humanity. It's like, oh my literally, gosh. how did you make it to adulthood? This is the most petulant nonsense I've ever seen. But if you get people to pick up a shovel, they are less likely to to blame, right? And it doesn't yeah. mean you're going to do it with all of them. Some people are dead set against ever doing any work. They are predisposed towards complaining without actually doing work. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about writing a check. Well, I write a check to Goodwill. That's not what I'm talking about. But we're not trying to go for everybody because we just, you know, I mean, that's just not, that's just not going to work. So the cool thing is that first and foremost, you get people to actually do the work. It makes them a little bit more empathetic and, uh, uh, and accepting of the fact that maybe everything isn't perfect, right? Um, uh, maybe, maybe they have a responsibility to get in the mix and start doing some work. I think that's healthy. I think it's time for people to embrace their adulthood. I think it would be overdue. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that need to grow up and I think this is a good time, right? 
Yeah, yeah, and 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 I do think that um, you know what this particular ninety-six hour event has done is it's reawakened um, who else people are. Mm-hmm. You know, because I I really do. You know, I, I'm such a Pollyanna. I really do believe most people want to do good. You know, um, that they but they they get on this transactional treadmill. You know, they got to they got to make a living and, and I'm all for that, but they they do it at the cost of their life. Yeah. And and they're going to and what happens as what we saw is that the 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 kind of transactional framework that rewards that is deconstructing, mm-hmm. you know, that they have to find a way to be in in relationship with the real people and events in their life. It can't all just be this idealized story of future mm-hmm. where, um, where, you know, you're basically throwing people in front of the high speed train in order and, to, to get your, about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And enjoying it a little too much. And yeah. so, so it, so here it is, you know, we've had some really exceptional people stepping mm-hmm. up yeah. and, 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 you know, they are inspiring others, you know, so it's like we have new role models, not to be them, but to be your version of them, you know, to, to, to work within your own uh, complexity. Right. And, uh, and it's, I believe, I believe it'll be the dominant story. Not too long. We we've, we've embraced as a culture, we've embraced tabloid as truth. So You've got, you know, someone who looks good on camera being the, the hero and the self-starting person. But if you, if you dig in a little bit, it ends up being false. They bought their way into that position um, and they are a failure time and again, mm-hmm. right? So maybe it's, maybe it's easy to embrace something you know not to be true just because it's entertaining, but it's just a decadent enterprise. As long as everything's working, you can just, maybe it's a form of escapism, you know, anyway, when things don't keep working, right, <laughs> which is what we're doing now. And I think that we're going to see more of it because centralized administration does the scale very well. You end up you end up playing a margins game and at some point those margins don't play out. So those of us at the end of the of the last mile, like we um, mm-hmm. uh, we have to actually step up or we die. I mean, and not everybody has the chops to step up. There's people who are forever in a needy mode. They, they believe that they're entitled or they always need help. I, I, I recognize that. I don't know what to do about it. My feeling is, is that you take a leap of faith, you help others and it'll pay off. That's, that's my belief in it. Um, uh, and not everybody believes it. It doesn't matter to me, but you do well, that and you end up getting great results on it. And I think that what that does is that that elevates. I, I saw so many acts of, of love, kindness, and charity among strangers mm-hmm. um, without, rec- without expectation of, of, um, of repayment or recognition. To me, that's what I call weft. It's a, it's a love thing. You, you, you get more than you, you put into it. And those are the people that make a difference. And I believe with conviction, those are the people that we will celebrate as our, our heroes. That's like literally our target audience. Honestly, we want those people to pick up what we have and it help them deliver a force multiplier so they can really provide benefits to their community. And they become the community heroes because they earned it. They didn't buy their way into it. Yeah. It, again, it, they have to opt in. You know, and, and we talk about, or at least I talk about that you have to muscle up around stuff, you know, that, um, maybe the first time you do it, you're more, you feel like you're more pushed than you actually jumped. Right. 
But so now there you are in this new place, you could either fall back into old habits and kind of, you know, erase those gifts from your consciousness Mm -hmm. because you don't, you don't reinforce them or you kind of get on your feet, dust yourself off and say, okay, here I am. What's next. Mm -hmm. And for, you know, for me in my life, going back uh, many, many years, you know, one of the reasons that I ended up on the path I'm on is that I had an event in my personal life where I, I was, I was kind of pushed into a different storyline and instead of resisting it or, you know, shying away from it, I just went all in and it absolutely changed my path. And it, that, so that first jump, that first yes leads to many, many more. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, you know, and, and, and I think that this, you know, the COVID, it was kind of like this slow burn crucible where life right. could change, but there was right. still enough. And so all of a sudden it was like, like, I guess in Sweden, you'd be jumping out of the sauna into the ice cold bath. And we got an ice cold bath in the 96 hours where people right. are like, things have changed. Right. And you either can be in alignment with that or not, but the yeah. cost of not being in alignment with it is going to come in both soft and hard capital. Well, and again, I, I already recognize there's plenty of people that decide to go back to the same thing about, mm-hmm. you know, the greatest elections, theft of all time, blah, blah, blah. I mean, oh my God, people, you guys can do what you want on this one. We're going to go through another thing. It'll be its own version of it, but it happened. It'll happen again and again. But in each time, what Ruth and I have recommended is that there's an increasing number of people that we consider the ones that matter, which is right here in our neighborhood. The ones that are mm-hmm. saying, huh, I like it. You're putting together a neighborhood economic solution that and that acknowledges and embraces expressions of soft capital so we can build a community. And it has a basis of providing additional income so people can stay in their homes. And if it grows enough, you would be able to deliver a neighborhood co-op that could deliver childcare, healthcare, basic income, and vocational and educational opportunities. It clicks for them. Right. And it's actually getting to be a pretty succinct pitch. I told the chicken lady, I hope she doesn't know I call her the chicken lady, but I, I don't know what else to call her right now because well, at she the has moment, chickens. This is, yeah. They're, that's like the coolest household. Like, like I'm telling you, the girls still talk about their house on Halloween. You guys, Texas Halloween's, we did talk about it on a podcast. We still have Halloween candy. It's like amazing. But anyway, <laughs> it's like the coolest household. It's a hub. It's a natural hub. These people are not in their house. They're out in front all the time. They play soccer across the street. And there's chickens and there's dogs and there's a tree and a swing. There's investment. There's there's an investment. It's what I wanted in Portland. I lived on this corner of the street, actually on a street called Clickitat, which is like, basically you would recognize it if you read the uh, Beverly Cleary books. And uh, I had a rope swing out front. Um, My kids were on it sometimes, but it was mostly for the people that walked by. It was inviting people in, right? Um, Because that's what you do. If you give a little, you get a lot. Not every time, but we're not Mm -hmm. bean counting here, right? (laughs) So that's what these people do. They invest in it, you know? It's like the people that are working on cars all the time. We walk all the way down to the far end of the neighborhood. They're the other ones I want to talk to, right? Because they're always working on cars. They're like a natural hub, you know? Well, and, and, and when you say that, you know, we're not keeping track is we're, we're, you notice things, you know, and you put that in that, that, that space of adjacent potential, you mm-hmm. know, that, and, and then when the circumstances are right, that capital comes forward. Right. So you're really operating in faith. Mm-hmm. This is like, everyone is worth the investment. And because either, either way, you're going to learn something. 
Mm-hmm. And it's the learning that actually puts us in a position to become wisdom, create the wisdom exchange, right? That we actually are building this wealth. And it's been, having lived in Austin on and off since 1980, what I've been experiencing, I felt it with the beginning of COVID in March. And then it really came to like this, this crescendo over the last four days that, man, you know, that the seeds of who Austin is are still there. Yeah. That they, they may have been, it, there's, there's that old Mexican proverb. It's like they, they buried, they buried us not knowing we were seeds. Yeah. They yeah. tried to bury us. They didn't realize we're yeah. seeds. That's a real exactly. activism rallying call. Um, there's this cool thing I just saw about this guy in Houston who has a furniture thing and he opened two of these. Oh yeah. Stores. Mattress yeah. Mac. Yeah. No, it's pretty cool. That's the, that's the thing about this is that, you know, what people have this visual, they have this vision about what Austin is and they don't recognize that the, the, the basically the people have come and done what they could to destroy that quality. They, they'll buy condos right above the musical outlets and then they complain all hours of the day about the sound. Like, why did you move to the heart of the music capital of the world just to complain about live music? Like, why would you do such a thing? You know, yeah. we had the same thing in Portland. Like, why would you buy a house right next to a bar you know has live music just to try to shut it down mm-hmm. because you don't like live music? Why would you do such a thing? People do that, right? They do that. They uh, they move to a place like Portland or Austin because they embrace the mute the 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 the, the food thing. But what they end up doing is displacing with Whole Foods, which is just the most boring thing ever. Which is ironic on a hundred million levels, considering it started here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, That's yeah. Like the most bizarre twist of all time, you know. So you know, um, and what's cool, by the way, is that we had the same thing when the the the, the recession hit in two thousand eight. A lot of those people aren't even from here. They end up having multiple households, so they just go back to where they're from, and then. And those areas become fairly barren because they're just not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that in Austin, those areas are pretty barren. You know, they had hung out in their condos and they could say that they lived, you know, within spitting distance of the dirty six, but then they just complained all the time. And now they're not here because there ain't nothing going on down there. Not since COVID, not since this. So, you know, the first, first ones that move into there are the, you know, like the skaters and the graffiti artists. I mean, I love them by the way, because they just like, they basically kind of lay a foundation saying, y'all, we can come out of the shadows and just kind of reclaim this area. I love it. I, you probably, I don't know if you've seen this, but that was in a documentary called freedom of space years ago. Um, and it talked about the, the role of public space um, among, uh, uh, you know, uh, being used for non-traditional means. And it was through the lens of skateboarding. And the other person that was featured prominently in the documentary was Edmund Bacon, who was the architect of Love Park in Philadelphia. And he's known as the father of modern Philadelphia. He's also Kevin Bacon's dad. And so, you know, he and I ended up sort of going back and forth in the documentary talking about um, this, the, the, the use of public space for non-traditional reasons. It's a really interesting discussion on the commons. And we're really talking about that. We don't live in neighborhoods, as Ruth points out. We, we live in economic zones, right? But that, that we're invited to change that when things go weird, which is what's going on right now. And we can actually change that for the better. And we can actually turn this into something that allows us to, you know, um, make a, uh, make a life instead of making a living. Like maybe we don't have to go back to work in a hundred million hours for some terrible people, uh, just to continue climbing some imaginary ladder, just so we can hang out with people that are more craven than the last group that we just left behind. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe we can just well, stop that game, you know? Like, yeah. Know. And, and, and it's like, it becomes more, they, they, maybe the next group feels better because you've given away part of your humanity. Right, you know, you've, right. you've, you've lost some expectation. And so what um, what I'm excited about here in Austin is that there are specific uh, civic leaders 
who really just showed up and stayed present. Oh, dude. And I there's so... others that we're not going to name names. Because <laughs> but I so want to say your name. I know, but we're not so... going to. Okay, That's our commitment I... okay. is that, right. that um, you know, that, that they, and, and most importantly, they didn't, it is that they stayed present, you know, that they didn't just show up for the photo op. They didn't just show up to wring their dude, hands or to did, did they, um, did show they, their new it. sweater. They did yeah. it. And then they said they didn't want the recognition. Exactly. <laughs> That's the part that blows my mind. Like, and if y'all knew what we were talking about, it would blow your mind. Like there's every opportunity to lord over this and, and they chose not to. I'm just right. astounded. I'm astounded, but I'm, I'm deeply impressed because I'm a big fan of servant leadership. But, um, but this person went out of their way um, to make sure that, that their people got the recognition. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. that. I love that and took full responsibility, like a leader, capital L. Oh, I like that so much. And, and, you know, when the, when the snow clears and everybody's back to complaining about the heat again, um, we will make sure that these people are recognized, you know, so, so we know who's doing the work and and we're going to do everything we can to make sure that (laughs) This is a lot of mine. I'm yes. going to let it shine, but not now. <laughs> not now. It's a priority. But yeah. I, I do You're think bush. that. Oh, no. I'm going to let it shine. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I, I just, um, you know, when I woke up on Monday and the heat, uh, all the power went off at two in the morning and, um, you know, my housemate and I were like, okay, the adventure begins, right? And, uh, you know, as soon as I let Kent and Trudy know, Kent's like, I'm on my way, you know, and, and uh, I'm always looking for a reason driving the ice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd like to think it was more than just your, your boy stuff, you know, but, (laughs) but it's, um, but, you know, not only did, did y'all take care of me, you took care of Sarah Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and, and along the way, it was like, you know, because I remember we were driving past the gas station on the corner and or the tire place on the corner and those people had pulled under and they had kids and you're like, well, we've got to go check and make sure, you know, that those because those are kids in the snow and they were like, oh, no, no, we're fine. But we saw that over and over again. Mm-hmm. So it was it was an adventure, you know, yeah. and and um, but it's how I was taught values by demonstrated demonstrated experience my grandpa knew i was skipping school so he'd have me climb in a semi-truck and he drove me up and down the oregon coast and he's you know got a semi-truck full of fish and he'd stop and make sure people are okay and uh and he learned that from his people you know and uh and that's how you learn it um and then as you get older you look back on the stories that you experienced and were told and it informs how you act it's how values are taught right people are invited each generation to embrace the values and in a time of scarcity, people adopt a scarcity mindset or they go all in. And I'm the type of person that's like, I'm going all in. I'm jumping both feet into really? this thing. I, I believe, really? you know that about me? <laughs> I can draw a picture for you. And you're the same way, by the way, I dig it. Well, but, yeah. There's but, I'm, but I'm all for, I believe that there's enough people that are going to grab onto you. And I um, uh, and I went through this in, in Portland and ended up landing on my butt. And I don't begrudge those people because I realized there's a point where people are under such sustained state of duress that they cannot give even a single more another inch. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that really is the, the harsh side of the instead of making a life they make a living, they end up on a treadmill and there ain't nothing more to give. The guy who came and re-roofed their house and helped them move and sat mm-hmm. with their kids during, I mean, I, not a single person could, because they couldn't give anything more. And, um, 
And so, you know, that's why I was like, I got to get to a new place. Uh, and so I like it here, by the way, there's room to breathe. There's a lot. People aren't in that significant state of duress. That's uh, basically, you know, in a lot of West Coast cities, it's just so expensive to live. You just can't, people can't do anything more for you. Yeah, themselves. you can't exhale. Right. I mean, you know, there's pictures of this, the, the, the dumpster full of perishables and the cops standing off with people trying to pull the food out. Well, you know, I know some of the people that were doing it. Those are gentrified, normal people. And I should talk about the geography of there. That store sitting, that is not a low class, um, a working class area that is sitting just south of the Grant Park neighborhood and just north, north of Laurelhurst, which is not only some of the most expensive neighborhoods in the state of Oregon, but that is right in the heart of liberal Oregon. That is right there. And uh, 30th and holiday, right? So, you know, the fact that the police are standing off with uh, some of the, I mean, well-placed, uh, uh, you know, progressives, enlightened, but also hardworking people that are in really expensive homes <laughs> and they're having to stand off over, it's not rotten food. This, they're just getting rid of it. Right. And we can right. do it once or now, but I mean, this is the thing, like you might think of yourself as rich, but you're not really rich. Uh, if you've got no water, no food and, uh, and no power, I don't care if you're in a million dollar home with two cars. Right. I mean, are you really rich? Well, like, you know, and, and, and the other side of that is ATB here in Texas, as soon as their power started faltering um, and they knew that they were going to have to, you know, throw food away uh, because of spoilage laws, just let people load up their baskets and walk out with the food, mm-hmm. you know, that they did that in a number of locations. So there's the difference is yeah. that you have management that says, well, this there's people in need. We have the food. We're going to be writing this off. And this is a great investment in community, right. in soft capital. Right. So look at those. So th- there's always a choice. Again, it's always, are you producing well-being or are you consuming it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, just, it's a faith investment. That, in your you're always gonna, your bet's always going to pay off when you're investing in people. Yeah. I mean, it's a faith investment in your people. And I, mm-hmm. I, in my experience, it's a, it's a, it's a, there's a multiplier effect. You, you jump into it. I mean, I've only been here for not even two years. I've gone whole hog on getting to know people. It has not always worked out, uh, but I'm not going for hundred percent on this one. And, uh, and it's so far, like I've been able to land really well in Austin because there's still such a significant spirit of generosity um, and, uh, and charity and love. Um, and I love being in the working class neighborhood. Like this is not what people would call a nice part of town and i love it here so much <laughs> i really love it here like i really love the people so much because there's such a significant and dramatic spirit of of charity and and giving um it's not the uh you know the thin-lipped um you know perpetually martyred wounded and needing um a uh, uh, rescue of the of the upper class that i actually come from it's like a weird mindset you know it's odd to me that the people that are on paper, the most wealthy are the, are the most poor in spirit. It's like the most bizarre circumstance, right? Like y'all could literally empty your garage and it wouldn't even notice the stuff was gone, but that's not what y'all do. Right. And there ain't nothing to do to change that. That's a psychological mindset. Whereas like, I'm telling you, and, and you know, people were, you know, they see me with my girls and want to make sure we're okay. And I'm like, no, I'm actually out here to try to help y'all out. But if you got something to give, I ain't going to turn it away. Cause there's something about the gift of giving. You don't re- mm-hmm. deny that as someone, right? Like, I'm all for it. like if you want to, if you're in a spirit of giving, I'll receive, you know, and I'll receive with, with gratitude, you know, that's how friendships are made. So, you know, I'm digging it. Well, yeah. And, and, and the beauty part too, is that we're in a walkable neighborhood. Right. Um, because they are, it's actually designed for working class. 
right. that you need to, not everyone's going to have transportation. Right. There are sidewalks, you know, there's, it's, it's encouraged to be engaged and involved. So that is one of the, the ways that are the Windsor Park Collective has a, an advantage is that you already have people that you can meet in their front yard. There's right. not gates, there's not huge hills to climb or anything like that. So it's going to be exciting to see how this now accelerates Yeah. Um, as we've gotten onto the radar of some very interesting and interested people. Yeah. The giant letter people just posted on their Facebook page saying that they got resources to share and I just tagged you. And then we've oh, got, good. I've got extra tins of food that we can help with. They're on the South end of this. Um, they're another, what I would call, we're starting to call a hub. Um, I had used the metaphor before. I don't know how far we into this podcast maybe we start to wrap i don't know but we had yeah. for a long time advocated as skateboard advocates we'd advocated for i'm switching gears a little bit but bear with me because this is applicable we'd advocated for a skate park and it took a very long time to recognize that we were advocating for the wrong thing what we were doing was um, inadvertently adopting the same metaphor that was adopted in the 1970s for reasons of profiteering they wanted to build what they would build as a skate park which was a centralized amenity it had a lot of things rides if you were to call it right and it had a fence around it and you and you paid money to get in there and, uh, and then you rode and it was for purposes of profit and then those things went away and so then we had pined for the return of the skate park with ever actually critically refreshing the screen about what we really needed right and i mean just to give this is why i like having trudy as the product designer because she is really good at getting to why people what they need versus what they want because people typically have no idea what they need they just think they do right so in the context of the skate park thing we spent a decade <laughs> thinking we needed a big centralized thing mm -hmm. but centralized isn't always the great answer it doesn't mean there's not place for it but it isn't the answer for everything right you, you, like a hammer is a good tool but not for everything <laughs> right so you know well I'm not yeah and again <laughs> yeah and, and 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 there's the old saying that when you're a hammer when you have a hammer everything's a nail yeah just, so yeah, that's right. yeah there's no nuances there right well so then we spent a decade pushing for a park and what the problem with a large centralized thing is they're large and they're expensive and it takes forever to get the money together and so there was a point it was like a breakthrough point where i realized like that's not at all what people need if you look at what the kids are currently doing what they're currently doing is they've centered their activities around hub a distributed series of hubs literally you watch them they're stairs they are you know what I mean? They end up being just like, you'll see them out. When you see kids in the wild, they're skating these hubs. They're skating these like natural amenities and they're about 1500 square feet. I can tell you with confidence that the 1500 foot square foot skateboarding amenity is dramatically less expensive than the 30,000 square foot amenity. <laughs> and from a city's perspective, they're way easier to find, right? Because there's just, who knows how many 1500 square foot amenities versus like a single 30,000 square foot thing, right? Anyway, when we switched it up, instead of talking about skate parks, we talked about skate dots and skate spots and micro whatever, right? It just, it dramatically increased the number of these things because what we were trying to do is create a safe place for kids to skate so they stop getting run over with cars. That was the idea behind it. So it's the same really recipe here. What we call the giant letter people, they're doing this public art exposition and it's amazing because they've turned their whole front yard into an art display. And it's these letters from this imaginary kid and it's really arresting, it's really fantastic. And um, yeah, they just acknowledged it. So that's cool. Maybe we can follow up with them after this. So um, Ruth and I have walked all over this neighborhood. 
like all over it and uh, daytime, nighttime. And I talked to the chicken lady yesterday and I said, maybe you remember us. I talked to you at the onset of COVID, but also Ruth and I walked by and we laughed. She's like, oh yeah, because we are. It's like 11 o'clock at night. Ruth and I are laughing about some nonsense. <laughs> We're out in the street talking about as we walk past her place. But anyway, the Southern margin of our walking thing is a giant letter thing. And so then they become, they're this natural hub. They actually turn their front yard into a hub. And then just up the street from them, a couple of blocks is what I would call another natural hub. There's people working on cars all the time. And then up around the corner is another group of people working on cars all the time. And then there's the people with the twins that are up further. I mean, they're just hubs. This is the thing they invest in, you know, putting a rope swing out front without worrying about somebody suing them. And then just let kids swing on the swing, right? So what our vision for the neighborhood collective is to actually stitch that together so we can extend that. We can utilize technology in a judicious way. So you, you can say, oh, right. Uh, according to this, these guys have, you know, extra biscuits, would we like to whatever. Um, and there's the additional model in there is that people can sell things to one another. And it creates a self-funded mm -hmm. basis for having the type of social services that the government isn't always in the position to do, right? But it's our vision that, that, that this doesn't, this doesn't um, eliminate the need for government. What it does is that it redistributes responsibility down to the community. I mean, for, there's a lot of pragmatic reasons for this. One of them is it makes it less likely that people are just going to sit and carp about the government, which is you know, got to be the most boring activity ever. Like just get in there and do some work. Maybe if you're involved in your own community, you'd be more understanding that the government is basically bound at every side they can't do anything without people complaining and they can't do anything inexpensively <laughs> you know like it just there's no way to do it and uh and uh so if we take on some of that risk we take on some of that burden that gives them more breathing space it gives them more room and it actually enriches our mm -hmm. own living experience within our communities um and if we're incurring the risk uh, I can assure you that people are going to complain because that's how people are wired you know most people are children so they just complain it's you got to get thick-skinned about it it's the difference between you know being a citizen and being a leader. And I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of leaders in our community. Um, we've seen that happen. We're literally happening, watching it happen in real time. This is such a rich opportunity to bring them into the fold, um, which is why our, you know, the adoption of the neighborhood pilot is, is, is just, you know, happening so fast. It's like, it's, it's literally an example of the anti-fragile model. The anti-fragile supposition is that mm -hmm. it, the system doesn't hold main, it doesn't hold steady state. It is structured in such a way that it capitalizes on the stresses that would normally bring a system down. And in our case, the instrumentation has been correct. We have embraced and acknowledged different forms of soft capital. And to the extent that when things happen and they go pear-shaped, there's not money, there's not food, there's not water, there's not power. It actually mm -hmm. dramatically, it actually expedited our timeline for adoption dramatically because we had explicitly embraced soft capital. So it literally is demonstrating this. And, uh, and uh, it's just, I'm just digging it, man. I'm, you know, I'm at, I'm at church, you know how I am. I got to start doing my rock and I got my arms in the air. And so <laughs> now I'm ready to go out and do some work. Well, know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and actually enjoy this this warm weather. It's like thirty two almost. Oh, Lord. It might be. I'll just, I'll just wear one coat today then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I'm I'm excited about this, and I, it's, you know, when we had the the brainstorm about thinking about everything as anti fragile modeling uh, back in August, it was a lot warmer. You know, it's like, and, and, and as much as, as, as each of us can see a future, I don't think anybody called snow, snowpocalypse, you know, because right. um, for, for, for us to get snow in January, where it was just beautiful, it was like a Disney snowfall and everyone's like, this is so lovely. Right. 
And then it was like, winter said, hold my beer. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the well, real this... winter. And it's just brought out the best in people. No, it really has. So I've got this, I've spent a lot of time in private enterprise and there's this, and I actually love working with private equity firms. And I like working in the context of mergers and acquisitions. And when a company reaches a state of duress, it's like only in that circumstance does someone decide they're going to, they're going to sell it. Right. And it sort of reminds me of like, you know, a house that's under short sale, like um, not a short sale versus like a, a short sale versus foreclosure. Like people buy a house with the, with the hope that they're going to keep it for 30 years, but sometimes they just can't. So, you know, maybe it's foreclosed upon. And in that case, what you end up buying is a damaged property. Sometimes they haven't been able to keep up with the basic maintenance of the home. And they, um, and sometimes they just sabotage it. If the bank has seized it, they'll just put concrete down the sewer pipe, the whole thing. So when you're buying a bank home, a bank owned home or foreclosed, you've got to deal with the fact that you might have to do a ton of maintenance on a home that just wasn't properly maintained. A short sale is a little bit better. I'm switching metaphors again, but bear with me. Mm. Short sale is that people is like, wow, I'm upside down in this house. I owe more than I, than I, than I, um, then I, uh, I owe more than it's worth. And I'm just, I got to be able to sell it for, for anything just so I don't get it foreclosed. And so um, in that case, you end up having people that try to, they're just trying to get as much value out of it, but still this, the house hasn't had a proper state of maintenance. And it's really true with businesses as well. And I spent a lot of time in tech and most software acquisitions fail because you, you buy the software um, based company and most people just leave and now nobody knows how to maintain the software and it basically necessitates a complete rewrite. And, and that's true. When you end up buying like a software company, there's been so much acquisition, they haven't properly maintained their code base. And so, and I'm sharing this because I have a certain insight on systems and that um, you, you, the system reaches a certain state of stress and you just sense it in your bones. You're like, this thing is in a bad way. And I start looking for certain measures. And one of them is um, when things are insufficiently diversified and there is too much volatility or variability, that's uh -huh. the stink of death, right? Like that just stinks of it, right? And um, and it's so much why I'm invested in getting a, a hyper-local economy that is properly diversified. So there's low volatility, uh -huh. low variability, because and that actually aligns to ecological truth. Like we can't have insufficient diversity in the ecology. If you do, then just one illness takes the whole species out. And if it takes out a keystone species, you're in, you're in trouble. It ends up being a, 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 a collapse of the ecosystem. So, you know, that's a, a, a big deal. So that's actually what I see going on right now is that we have privatized the profits. We have socialized the cost mm -hmm. um, towards a diminishing number of centralized entities to the detriment of the overall system. And, and increasingly what we've done basically as a culture, we've cut one tent pole after another and just glided along on momentum. And most of it ends up, ends up being what I call a consensus trance, which tells us that this country's never been stronger, right? Um, and that might be true with jets that go a million miles an hour or whatever. That's great. But all we need is just one or two tent poles knocked out and you knock out a keystone elements such as power and people are forced to sit in the dark at six o'clock at night and say, maybe things aren't as strong as I thought they were. Right. And this is where it starts to really shake their, their faith um, in, uh, in their, in their belief that everything is just what it was. So I don't think it's disaster. I don't think it's, uh, uh, it's all over. It's actually an opportunity to say it's time to refresh the screen, as, as Ruth says. It's time for us to grow up, put our big boy pants on, put our big girl pants on, and focus on what we know works, which is community. And I'll bet you all know somebody in your neighborhood. In fact, I'm just watching it happen with people. You know, they, what ultimately they reached into the, the, the their their community, and hopefully they did so in a spirit of reciprocity. If you get five, give back ten, even if you don't have it. You know, uh, and that would be my recommendation. 
Um, I believe with conviction, we're going to be okay. I think that's the unexpected outcome. I think that we've been acculturated to believe it's, a, it's an unhappy ending, but it's actually a happy ending. I'm just convinced of that because help came from the least expected direction. Like it's literally already here. Like imagine if you were waiting and waiting for the good guys to show up and rescue you and you realize we didn't need it. They were here all along. That's the thing that we're trying to tell people. So that's my rant. I'm done rocking. I'm going to drink my <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that uh, we've given everybody a good flavor of uh, what's happening in Austin. And um, it's just super exciting to be at this moment, to be here as people awaken, as they deepen their empathy, as they start reaching out for the tools right. to, to build a world that works for everybody. Yeah. And, um, you know, and this, this, I just want to wind up by talking about enoughness yeah. is what, what we discovered over the last bunch of days is that we have enough Yeah. That, 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 that what's really important. And this isn't some hallmark moment where like, then they let go of all the other things. It's like, no, it's, it's not demanding that your enoughness matches my enoughness, but it's respecting that there is a balance required. And, you know, so you know, you with, you with your three young girls, there's, there's a level that you have to, it's immediate to you, uh -huh. you know, it's like, it's not a theory. It's like, it's right there. But even though I don't have children, I know. That's not true. Well, <laughs> nothing biological, nobody biological, yeah. right? It's, it's like, but, but, but I can lean into that enoughness and say, how do I support that? Yeah. You know, and that's all it is. We're just asking people to refresh the screen mm -hmm. and, 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 and lean into being of service to the greater good. Yeah. Because that is what sustains you. Well, and, and that's what sustains you. It is this right. decades of investment of soft capital, not for a, a, an envisioned reward, but to be, the reward is to be ready when it's needed. Yeah. You know, you've muscled up around it. So, and I got to tell you that I was just really impressed with the girls and how oh, they wanted to go out them. with you, how they wanted to go out with you and be of service that I, they were I, like, you know, they were just like, like competing to see who could grab the coat and go with dad to kind of see the yeah. world and see what they could do. I told them, I told them, this is what we do during hard times. And they were like, and they did the same thing, the boys, because the boys are doing the same thing. You know, they're grown ups, they're in Oregon and they're doing that thing. Now they got the same sort of thing going in Oregon. And my boys are up till late helping people out because they're stuck and they're, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's just what they've done, but it's, you know, they were introduced to, um, they were introduced to values that I, they were introduced to me when I was a child and so on going all the way back to whenever. So the girls were, they, 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 they left at the opportunity, which I'm really proud of them. And I really showered them with praise. I said, you know, I, I really, really appreciate your spirit of giving. Um, and, and it's really important to do so in a way that doesn't make people feel less than people don't like to grovel for anything. Right. And so, you know, to, to really embrace, um, um, to really embrace the person from a spirit of service, but also to really acknowledge their personhood, you know, to take the time and listen to their story and all that. I mean, you know, she's my, my, my 11 year old, I'm really impressed by her. Um, mm -hmm. and I mean, the little ones brought a smile to everyone's face. And, uh, and that was really, that really, that made me happy. I was very proud of them. I mean, this is how you teach values, right? Well, you show them, you demonstrate yeah. it. Yeah. 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 
I mean, wow. it was cool. I mean, we literally talked about it. Is that we 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 gave without any accounting, and we received. We still have an overflow of abundance. Like it was literally a quantitative uh, return on investment. Oh um, yeah. And uh, and somehow the house ended up cleaner than what we started with. Just, <laughs> and you ended up with more food. I got like, seriously, we have so much food. It's crazy. <laughs> and so like the giant letter people just responded. It sounds like we might be able to help. And so it would be cool. We could just kind of keep this thing going. So yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. Hey, great talk as usual. I'm looking forward to yeah. you over and we can like kick it. I got this bacon that I really am dying to cook. I don't know if you're in the mood for it, but uh, you know. Um, anyway, is there a no bacon mood? I, I'm not aware. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool. It was actually this part of HGB. It's like nobody was looking for it. All the meat was gone, but they had it merchandised by the produce. And I was like, whoa, who that is, right? And so then I was like, hey, y'all. You know, and, 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 and the person who hid that is now going, holy crap, I know I left bacon here somewhere. <laughs> oh, it was the whole, they'd merchandise this whole like, hey, and while you're in produce, here's some breakfast food. But because people were looking for it, it's like they completely missed it. There's all this sausage, all this bacon. And I was like, hey, y'all, there's meat over here. <laughs> it was gone, right? But it was like, you know, uh, it's like a bacon I'd never seen before. So uh, that's good. That's good stuff. Anyway, yeah, uh, we got a good work day in front of us. And it was good talking to you. I think so. Yeah, right. me too. See you all in right, a bit. Cheers. Bye. Bye.